Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Dicker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And today, Lisa, I know we have a guest who again brings to the discussion multiple perspectives. So who are we talking to today? So we are super excited to have a colleague and guess what, a friend, <laughs> it's been a theme this season, um, who is an expert at, from the University of Central Florida in families, being a mom herself, um, children, and, and counseling. So we're so happy to have you, uh, Dr. Vicki Keltzner. We'd love for you to just give us a quick little interview, or interview, introduction <laughs> of who you are today to get us started. So thanks and welcome. Thank you for having me. So my name is Vicki Kelchner, which they already said, and uh, my area is families and working with uh, a lot often families that are underserved and how to support those systems and working with school systems and how to support families. And that's and I'm a mom myself to three little ones. And I, again, I'm just happy to be here today. So, so Vicki, I know that, you know, we, we've all actually collaborated on tons of community things and um, family things. So, and I know professionally from the field of counseling, you have a bird's eye view about the real needs of, of parents and families right. and kids with disabilities. What do you see, what would you say is the, the greatest universal need that you see across disabilities when you're working with parents? What do they need the most? Um, well, I think universally parents just need to give themselves space to make mistakes and that it's okay just to take a step back and breathe and know that you're not always going to be the perfect parent. And what do you think about, you know, so I, I think that's really a good point. What do you think teachers need to know about parents? Well, I think, and I've been on that side, so I have taught and I've been in public schools, and I think that often teachers, just like parents too, maybe they forget that parents often are doing the best that, that they can do. And, and, and they're fatigued, they're anxious, they're tired, and maybe their response isn't exactly the way that they meant for their response to be with teachers. Mm -hmm. So I think just being open to saying, hey, wait a minute, look, can we talk this out a little bit more, communicate a little bit better? Well, you know, and, and one of the things, Vicki, that I just so appreciate about you is you are a mom with your plate very full, um, three beautiful children. And uh, yet one of the things that I think a lot of families really just like their plate gets fuller and fuller. At what point do you as a counselor say, you know what, it's okay to not only admit you've made a mistake, but you might need more help. Um, you might need some counseling. You might need some tutors. How do we as parents do a better job of knowing when we've kind of reached that point? And then what do we do to reach out and get the right supports in whatever community we might be in? So I think reaching that point for everybody is a little bit different. But one thing I would say is if you feel like you're doing absolutely nothing well, you might need just to step back for a minute. Or you feel like you're ruminating constantly. So you're completely thinking about everything all the time, you need to say, okay, I need to step back for a minute. Because rumination creates depression, anxiety, and all of that accelerates when we don't take that time just to step back for a minute. And that time might be exercising or that time might be reaching out to a mental health professional. Um, it looks different for different people. But if you're constantly thinking and you're not slowing down ever, and you don't think you're doing anything well, I think you might need some outside help. 
Got it. All right. Yeah. And what, what, what is my first step in finding that help in whatever community? Let's say I'm in a rural community. I'm in an urban community. Um, there's not a lot of resources. I don't have a lot of money. Where, mm -hmm. where, where can I start? So I think particularly in rural communities, one of the first places to start might be if uh, you have children, obviously we're mainly talking about people with children, I would think, right? And children with disabilities even. Yeah. Right. Which is, that's a whole nother kind of adventure, right? Um, I think the school counselor could be a first, a good first step because the school counselor probably is connected to other professionals in the area. So that would be the first step. The social worker also could be a good resource. And then community, other parents are phenomenal resources. So you could put that out there if you feel comfortable um, with other families. Like, do you see someone? Do you have anybody you would suggest? Or how are you making it through this? Um, but school counselor, I think, would be a first, particularly in rural community, a first step. Well, I'm so glad that you opened the door to the <laughs> So <clears throat> I'm I don't know if I'm glad. I don't know if I'm glad. <laughs> You know, I like to uh, argue. Um, I'm going to just represent for a second some traditional experiences with school counselors. Okay, mm -hmm. Vicki? So like, honestly, just as a, as a parent and as, as somebody who's been in the profession of education for a long time, you know, a lot of us have seen school counselors start to be a little, little bit pigeonholed into this role of a mm -hmm. scheduler, you know? Right. And so, so it seems like their time is consumed, not, not by any fault of theirs, mm -hmm. but their time becomes so consumed with scheduling. So I think that, um, you know, as I'm watching what's happening with schools and online learning and all these things, that role mm -hmm. has the potential to change, mm -hmm. you know, and I know that there are so many needs out there, not just for families, but especially for, you know, kids. How do you see the profession of school counselor possibly changing so that they can maybe accommodate um, kids on a more personal level? Um, well, so I think that's really important. And I think as a profession, we're always striving for that as school counselors, for us to really be doing what we're supposed to be doing. And that's not just scheduling. That's meeting the mental health needs of not only the students that we serve, but all those systems that serve that student and those families. So I, I think that shift is a big shift and it's been coming for a long time but when we have big there's a huge caseload for school counselors and then sometimes when you have administration doesn't fully understand what school counselors do do you have a tendency to backslide into that role of scheduler um, more of like an administrative role when really we're there to meet the mental health needs of students and that's addressing social emotional and, and academic needs which makes the whole child it's not just academic needs it's all of those needs so that, that is the area I think we need to focus on. Yeah, I think that's, I think, I think it is a, a real need, you know, for, for kids of all types. Mm -hmm. um, so I know some of our, our colleagues in, in different therapies, um, PT, et cetera, and some of our guests even this season have talked about telehealth. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious if you think that there's a telehealth role in the future for school counselors. You mean like going into family systems and working or telehealth no, just, just mean, to, you know, that, that idea of, of people being able to act as true counselors, um, you know, and, and provide some, some support for the emotional well-being of, of students and, and families, you know, what do you, 
do do you see there being a more um, more focus remotely in the future? I do. I think especially because of what we're, we're seeing right now, I think this is exciting because it's opening doors that maybe have been really sealed shut. So opening those doors to think out of the box, be more creative to meet the mental health needs of people that we serve. So I think we definitely might see a shift. I know even within my own family, our school counselor was zooming in and working with my kids when we were here working virtually, which I say we were here, we still are working virtually. <laughs> um, but for that, I think that's incredible. I think you're going to see more opportunity for groups to be um, mm -hmm. conducted virtually. I think you're going to see a bigger opportunity for those barriers that are in place for a lot of schools and students and families to access services, those broken down. So I think that that's exciting for our profession and a lot of other professions in general that will be able to access more services that are appropriate. So I have, I have a, a different kind of a family question, and, and again, because I know that's your expertise, and so I, I think you know I'm, I'm the sibling of a person who had a disability that, you know, had some major impacts. The reason I'm a special ed diehard, don't dare think a kid can't have the same opportunities as everyone else, and then my own son. But I'm, I'm curious, my son was an only child, so I don't have any experience here, but what do you see as the positives that families should think about and the challenges for the siblings of children with disabilities in the family structure. So I think one thing that we can never discount is the siblings that are in that family structure. They worry. You know, I think that they worry more than we think. Kids really absorb everything that's going on. And regardless if we're verbalizing something, they're picking up that energy, our middle brain section that is shooting different signals to them. So I think siblings worry even at a young age of, you know, how am I going to care for, for my sibling if that is going to be something that I'm in charge of or in wanting to, like being like, no, I'm the one in charge. No, I'm the one in charge. So I've had those arguments in family sessions that I've been the counselor, like, no, I'm going to be the one in charge. No, I am. Well, I mean, that's really beautiful. That, that's something really positive and beautiful to see. But then we have to think about the reality when it gets closer to that time. You know, how do we just as mental health counselors process that stress or that worry with those older siblings and help those families have that dialogue and that discussion of this is what needs to happen. These are the resources. This is what we're doing because I'm also a parent of a child with incredible unique abilities. And from birth, right, or from the diagnosis, we start researching and navigating and digging through piles of information to find out what's going to serve our child the best. Then siblings take over when they're older and they haven't been doing that their whole lifetime, like they've seen us do it. So I think preparing, talking about that is really important. But one thing I'll say that I think is really beautiful to see in a lot of the families that I work with and even within my family is how much those siblings love and they, they're able to find joy in much smaller things than, than maybe other families that don't have someone that has um, different kind of needs or, or, or abilities. And that is beautiful. And often I'll see in those families, they, the siblings always fight for the underdog, which I think is great. We need more people like that in society that are advocates and fight for the underdog. Did that answer your question, Lisa? It did. It did. Okay. <laughs> so, I, and it's a, it's a perfect segue to the quick follow-up I have there. Isn't it when you do counseling with families, do you see um, things that maybe 
counselors most often might do to help those siblings with the worry, the stress? What is that classroom teacher that says, well, you, this child doesn't have a disability, but they have a sibling with a disability. How, what are some things teachers and parents can do for those siblings in, in those situations that maybe they do have this unknown worry and we're like, well, where's that coming from? Again, it right. may be from that daily stress in the home of worry. Yeah. Right. So I think the, the, the best thing that teachers can do in, in those environments is create a safe environment for people to be, be vulnerable and have open dialogue about it and embrace diversity, no matter what that diversity looks like in that classroom and outside of that classroom. So I think that creates a safe space where they can process some of that and talk about it. So Vicki, as we, as we start to, to close our conversation, for those parents, you know, you did a great job of describing um, how they need to step back, you know, and, and it's almost the, you know, put on your own mask before you put on your child's mask right, on the right. airplane philosophy. So my child's entering school and I'm already overwhelmed and I'm frustrated, you know, just because this isn't how I thought I'd be entering school possibly, you know, with my right. children. Um, and I do decide to contact the counselor what's 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 my entree what's my opening line what do I schedule an appointment to talk to him or her about if I feel like I need some help in a school setting you know and I want to involve that person early on what's my approach um, well, first of all, I would really hope that the school counselor creates a setting where parents feel like they can approach the school counselor. You know, school counselors sit on the IEP teams, and often there can be um, some heated moments um, within IEP teams that I think really cause us some fractures in relationships. So I just want to kind of preface it with that. But if they do feel comfortable and even if they don't still taking that risk I think is important but just open it up and being like I'm I just want to be honest with you we're struggling and I know that you're the expert in this area and I'd, I'd like to have a conversation with you there might be resources you could help connect us with but I want to be very honest um, and often when I work with with families and then help them navigate the school system too is the teacher or the school counselor might not have a clue so being honest and having that open dialogue is extremely important. You know, Vicki, that's an interesting statement because I, I still remember the very first counselor I met when I moved to where I am now. And I said, my son has Tourette's. And they said, well, what is that? And, and I immediately thought, okay, I can't blame you because nobody taught you that, but now it becomes my job. And I do, I do know that you believe, and I believe, we all believe that parents are the expert. They really do know that child better than anybody. And, and I quickly did think about, you know, how do I share some basic information? Because again, if your child has a very rare, unique yeah. opportunity of a challenge in life, it may be something that may be everybody's first time. But I'm going to take it then to that next level and that teacher. And so what is your advice to parents as a counselor? So I would be in a counseling session. My son has had a temper tantrum and tore his room apart. And I drug him literally by his hair to school. If he's listening, he'll be laughing because this is not a made up story. And he's wearing really weird clothes and nothing is going right. And I drop him off in tears. And I don't even know what next to do. What, what's the thing I should stop and do for myself? And what is the thing I should probably do to help that teacher? 
So stop and help yourself in the moment. Yes. <laughs> I say take five very deep breaths. <laughs> How about 50? No, I'm just kidding. Five is good. Maybe 200, but let's just go with five for the sake of our time, right? <laughs> so just take some deep breaths and realize this is just one little moment in the big scheme of things. And that's hard to do because when you're in that moment, your breathing is definitely shallow. So the blood isn't flowing to your head. So you're not thinking as rationally as you <laughs> typically would. Um, but just take a minute and say, you know what, this is just one minute, one, well, sometimes it's a little longer than one minute, but one day in time and just kind of breathe. Um, and as far as the teacher, I mean, I think you can just be honest with the teacher and say, we're struggling. This is what's happened. Um, I'd like to give you a heads up because maybe, you know, maybe Johnny is going to have a bad day with you. So if you could try to connect simply by even maybe just touching him on the shoulder or do something to let him know that you're there, I would really appreciate it. Now that goes a long way. And when you work with kids too, that have like high anxiety or um, depression or you know, social anxiety or school anxiety, that teacher just making a connection as simple as looking them in the eye when they walk in and say, I'm glad you're here can shift that day for that, for that student, that child. And for the parent too. Uh, parent. I mean, asking you that question made me breathe deeply. I, mean, I needed to take a deep breath just thinking about it. So again, we know those emotions go long and, and, and hard. So thank you. Thank you for your advice. Well, we thank you so much for joining us today. Um, some really fabulous practical advice for families and for teachers. And, and we so appreciate you and all you do in our community. Uh, folks have questions for us, please send them to on our Facebook page at Practical Access or send us a tweet at Access Practical. Again, thank you so much, Dr. Kelchner, for joining us today. Well, thank you. I want to leave by saying one thing. Ooh. I tell my students this. I say, you know, no parent wakes up in the morning and says, today I'm going to be the crappiest parent I can be. <laughs> so just remember that. <laughs> thank you, guys. Have a great afternoon. Right. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Vicki.